Welcome to the Pacific Spine and Pain Society podcast for residents, fellows, and new attendings. A casual conversation, like the ones had after a presentation, in the floral suite, or in the clinic, designed to give you insight about interventional spine, pain medicine, neuromodulation, regenerative medicine, and minimally invasive spine techniques. And now, here's your host, Dr. Daniel Orlovich. PSPS listeners, thank you for joining us today. Very special interview with Dr. Jennifer Lee, who practices up in Kirkland, Washington. Very excited to have you. Thank you for making time, Dr. Lee. Go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself, your setup, and what interests you in the pain space. Thank you so much for that introduction, Dan. I'm glad to be here. I'm glad to be able to share a little bit about my practice with community. I'm up here in Seattle, Washington, a little north of Seattle, Washington, in a hospital called Evergreen Health. And I've always practiced in hospital systems. This is my third that I've worked within. I've chosen to practice that way rather than in an outpatient pain practice privately because I've just always really been passionate about engaging in in a hospital community and having really vigorous conversations with other specialties to to advance patient care. And also, I just really enjoy the the variety of practice that I'm able to experience in, in this sort of a role. Nice. You brought up, made me think of two questions when you said kind of working with other disciplines. What other disciplines do you see in the hospital there? And yeah. then you said variety of cases. Kind of talk to us a little bit about the variety that you're seeing, because I think that's a pretty unique concept of your position. Of course. Yeah. So the only pain management specialized doctor for the hospital system, but my closest colleagues for the most part are physiatrists. So I'm anesthesiology trained as a foundation. So I work really closely with them and I attend and am involved in several different conferences in the hospital. One of them is a twice monthly multidisciplinary spine conference. And this is attended by neurosurgeons, orthopedic surgeons, chiropractors, physiatrists, neurologists, myself. It's really broad. And in this conference, cases are brought forward, sometimes my own or others, to discuss when things are not straightforward. And I just have learned so much that way post-fellowship and grateful to be part of that. Yeah, it's pretty neat. I imagine it's a it's a big room or now it's a it's a larger Zoom meeting, but it sounds like lots of different disciplines. So that's pretty neat. When you talk about kind of the variety, walk us through kind of what you see in your typical week or typical month there. Sure. Well, I have a full-time outpatient pain practice. And so in that space, I'm seeing a huge variety of patients from those with post-laminectomy syndrome or unusual peripheral neuropathies that are sent to me by my neurology colleagues. I see patients that are cancer survivors and have post-mastectomy pain or chemotherapy-induced peripheral neuralgia. I see patients that have trigeminal neuralgia or chronic migraine or fibromyalgia. It's every day is absolutely different. And then flanking my, my work in the outpatient clinic, I see inpatients in the hospital, and thankfully not too many, a couple a week that I'm following because my time runs short. But the patients that I see in the hospital are are those that either are post-surgical or sometimes they are not surgical patients who have come in with refractory pain problems that the hospitalists are having. And then I think that's interesting. So the hospitalists, and you mentioned neurology as well, neurosurgery, are there any over kind of writing themes that you'd say are keys to collaborating with different specialties? Well, I think spine is definitely one of those. I think that it's becoming 
a focus in my organization, and I believe also in our medical societies and across the country, that we're reconsidering the way we are taking care of spine patients and thinking about that continuum from presentation and diagnosis to surgery in kind of expansion in an expanded perspective. I think there's, I'm observing as I'm sure well, many of the listeners are that there are new options in that continuum now. And so that is a really perfect opportunity to engage in these conversations with surgical colleagues and physiatrists and, and discuss, you know, what is the right procedure or intervention for a patient according to their individual circumstances. Do you find, generally speaking, the colleagues and other specialties understanding of it? Are they skeptical at first? Is it one of those things where they send you a few patients to see how the new paradigm affects their patients? Kind of walk me through kind of the progression when you interact with these other specialties who may not be as familiar as you are with that technology or the paradigm. Yeah, I think there is a reflex to be skeptical is kind of what I've seen, but in a healthy way. I mean, we're all really, we know what we know very well and we trust in what we know. And when we're kind of things are challenged beyond that, I think we all have the potential to react to that with some skepticism. And what I've, the way I've reacted to, the way I've responded to that is since I practice environment where we are collaborative and see one another and know one another, I have seen it as an opportunity for education. So I'll, in some of the conference I mentioned, I've on in several occasions brought in, you know, a very short presentation to precede the patient conference on, you know, interspinous spacers or, you know, advances in mechanism of action, understanding in neuromodulation. So I think once we bring the conversation to the science and talk about the science, people become more comfortable again and are open to considering a breadth of options. Nice. Yeah, I like that. It's establishing the relationships, like you're saying, that seeing them during these conferences, as well as driving it home with the data and the science and the evidence to kind of get them on board. Because like you said, that's that's how physicians process information. So I like that. Tell me, Dr. Lee, what do you find most rewarding about your pain management practice? Yeah, well, certainly the variety of practice is important to me, as I've, as I've described. My background is in anesthesiology, which I really enjoyed. And, and, you know, from an intellectual point of view, I think anesthesiology really can't be beat. It's, it's thrilling to be able to manipulate, you know, by hemodynamics and be involved in that operative environment. But I think, you know, what drove me into pain management was that beyond the kind of professional satisfaction of the intellect and the, the knowledge, I wanted really strongly to feel that I've made a difference in individuals' lives. And my experience with anesthesiology was that your really role is to suspend a patient in a position and protect their hemodynamics and their pulmonary function. And ideally, you know, those elements of their physiology are preserved and unchanged when they leave the operating room. And in pain management, I have an opportunity to, in some instances, leave patients in a better condition than when they and that I find really exciting and fills me with a lot of passion. So last week, actually, I saw a patient who was in the hospital. She's a 95-year-old woman, and she had been admitted with a vertebral compression fracture. She'd actually been seen by one of my colleagues the week before 
as an outpatient with the same compression fracture, but, and he appropriately gave her anti-inflammatory medicines and thoracolumbar brace and a referral to physical therapy and education. However, she didn't feel any better. And in fact, when I saw her in the hospital, her compression fracture had progressed in the percentage height loss. So, you know, what I was able to do for this patient was to perform a kyphoplasty procedure. And I don't do a lot of kyphoplasty procedures. I don't make that a big part of my practice, but I believe that there are certainly instances where it's instrumental. And this was one of them because this patient who's 95 and highly vulnerable in the COVID environment, she was unable to tolerate being rolled in her bed to exchange the bedpan. But, you know, within 36 hours of the kyphoplasty procedure, she could bear weight and there were plans being made for her to be discharged back to home where she could get physical therapy and out, outpatient and recover in a safer place. I mean, that's amazing. Like you're saying, it sounds like she was very apprehensive being in the hospital during COVID. And like you said, you sent her not only out of the hospital, but in much less pain and improved quality of life as well. And I'm sure there's countless other people that you've you know, had the, the good fortune and privilege to take care of and improve their life as well. Well, I like to think so. Tell me, you, you brought up the word, Dr. Lee, the passions. What kind of passions, what interests you in the pain medicine space? Like you said, there's lots of changes, paradigm shifts. What in particular kind of gets you excited in terms of the changes? Yeah, I'm really, I think a lot of my reading lately and a lot of my enthusiasm has been in the world of neuromodulation because there's been such an explosion, an absolute, you know, huge growth in the research and really that research driving a better understanding of the many different mechanisms of action that neuromodulation works upon. I'd say it's really been in the last 10 years that we've like totally evolved from an understanding that neuro, you know, neuromodulation is on this gate control theory, which is true to some degree, but of course now we all know that it feels a little antiquated when you um, contrast that against all the other mechanisms of action that neuromodulation is now evidently affecting. So I think that's really something that I can say I feel pretty excited about. And there's been, for that length of time, there's been this feeling of a conversation in the community of neuromodulation about which one is best. Is it, you know, paresthesia-based? Is it subthreshold? Is it dorsal root ganglion? Is it DTM? What, which, is, which is the best? And I guess I'm really, my belief is that they all are, and that really it isn't about one, but combining them. You know, we are in medicine, in almost every specialty in medicine, including pain management, we're really familiar with the idea of multimodal therapy. We take patients with peripheral neuropathy and we you know, might give them gabapentin. And then if gabapentin helps, but not enough, then we layer that with medication that has effects on the serotonergic system, like a tricyclic antidepressant. And we really are familiar with this idea in pharmacology that taking two medicines that work upon the same condition in a slightly different way can produce an outcome that neither one of those medicines could produce on their own. And I am really excited to see that that same philosophy is starting to trickle over into neuromodulation. And we're seeing that there are studies now demonstrating, in some instances, superiority of 
combining those different mechanisms of action simultaneously. How has, like you said, this has been a, an involvement, but the last 10 years, it's really taken off. In your practice, how has this development changed your practice? Is it ter- in terms of like introducing it earlier in the treatment phase? Is it doing more trials? Is it kind of planting the seed, talking to the referring physicians or talking to the patient saying, hey, consider this you know, later on? How has it kind of changed your day-to-day interactions with your patients and the colleagues? Yeah. Well, I think that the breadth of and depth of research is really, it's become convincing in its own. And then in combining that with really great patient outcomes, I'm seeing far greater acceptance of neuromodulation among referring doctors. And more often now, what I am receiving are referrals from neurosurgeons or orthopedic surgeons or neurologists specifically inquiring if it could be an appropriate case or stimulation. So I think that is really a change from where I was, what it looked like when I began my practice about a decade ago. The other thing that is wonderful to see in the changes of my practice in the last decade is that I would say, you know, a decade ago, it felt like pain management to many people was equated with pain medicines and among those opioid pain medicines. And I feel like we're really turning the corner now in our specialty where it is now becoming much more widely understood and appreciated that the primary role is not being the gatekeepers or deliverers of opioid pain medicines, but instead to think creatively about alternatives to those. And I think neuromodulation is often a really great alternative to those because it's enduring. Definitely. Very well said. I think it's interesting too. You you said like we're very comfortable doing the multimodal for the pharmacology. We could also do kind of the different settings for the neuromodulation. Any other kind of recommendations or thoughts? I've heard patient selection is really important. Anything that you'd like to share with the listeners about neuromodulation, a passion of yours that you think they could benefit from? So I think the guidance I would give around the topic of having a successful practice in neuromodulation is kind of centered on the ideas of organization and patient engagement. So I think it's really important to have a plan that includes really smoothly following the patient from the point that you identify them as a candidate and having a pattern for which materials you're going to provide to the patient. And they need to be varied. I mean, some patients are really going to be best, most responsive to our old written materials and others are I'm finding really engaging meaningfully with digital applications. And I think, you know, the whole continuum from the time that you begin to talk to a patient about it and then develop that conversation to the point that they are ready to go on to a trial and beyond really should be pretty seamless. Your your staff and your team need to know the answers to the most common questions so patients feel really supported. I would say that The patients that I really reliably have good success with are those who I've taken time with. I don't jump to a trial immediately, but I spend at least a couple appointments getting to know them and feeling out, you know, if there are any hesitancies and if so, why those are. And engaging the patient in kind of an energy that this is going to be exciting and this could be a real transition point in the way that you, your care is managed and that it allows you independence from 
prescriptions and from frequent doctor's visits with myself or others. I think that, you know, getting patients to be part of the process and not having it be exclusively feel like a passive therapy has really led to a lot of success in, in mine. Nice. I like that. Yeah. I like how you're taking multiple times talking to them, figuring out what hesitancies they might have, and then talking to them about very real benefits. Like you're saying, they take less medication. They have to come in less frequently as well. And like you said, it's a game changer as well. So I really like that process of getting them kind of bought in to the concept of this therapy. Switching gears, Dr. Lee, you've been in this 10 plus years. You've seen the changes in your crystal ball. What kind of predictions for the future of pain management do you see? I think that pain management is at a really exciting moment right now because to me, it feels like we've kind of come out of this haze of pain management being so tightly associated with pain medicines. And as I had mentioned earlier, now to being much more of an advanced interventional partner. What I envision and what I expect as time goes forward is that the supportive technologies, whether it's interspinous spacers or treatments to the basovertebral nerve or neuromodulation, I think the data is growing and is driving itself. And that I really do anticipate that pain management doctors are going to become more and more important to patients and to surgeons in playing a part in that continuum from diagnosis to the potential for a traditional surgical procedure. So I see pain management as having a bigger role in that midpoint of care. Yeah, I completely agree. And that's something that's amazing to me. It's interesting when people say, okay, well, you want to do a lot of interventions. Why don't you just do, you know, kind of like you're saying the old paradigm and that's the pharmacological management. And then I wonder, like, those have side effects. I had a guest earlier and he was saying all, you know, now it's coming to light what the gabapentinoids will do, what NSAIDs will do as well. So they're not without risks. And obviously, you know that and I know that and our listeners know that. But I think the general public and the, the surgeons and whatnot, they aren't aware of these newer therapies like you mentioned as well, and the ability to really transform and make an impact on the patient's life. Yeah, it's interesting because, you know, Sometimes I hear, we, we talk about the word invasive, you know, when we're describing treatments. And I don't think there's much that we do that's not invasive. In fact, I can't think of anything more invasive than putting a pill in your mouth and having it circulate everywhere in your body. And it's certainly, it's not something that we see making an exterior impact. You know, you don't, we don't see a scar or need a Band-Aid over that. However, it's not, it's not, there's no lack of invasiveness in pharmacologic treatment of pain. I mean, I think we are making an impact necessarily in some way when we treat patients with pain because there's a great burden of pain in our communities from, as I've mentioned, you know, the spectrum between central sensitization to post-surgical pain to cancer survivors. And I think we really need to have a huge toolbox to use to most appropriately care for these patients and also be thoughtful about those patients' own personal medical philosophies. There are lots of patients who don't want to take medications. I hear that commonly. They say, I just want to, I don't want to take medications. It doesn't make me feel well. And then there's other patients who at all costs are trying to avoid any type of a surgery that permanently alters their anatomy. And so now we have options in to take care of patients in those different positions and holding true to what they prioritize. No, I love it. Yeah. Like you said, that space, that desire, that need already exists. The patients are telling us that. 
And like you said, it's very nice now we have more tools to help them out as well. Yeah. Dr. Lee, tell us any words of wisdom. You shared a lot. Any closing words of wisdom, any advice for the residents out there interested in pain medicine, the pain fellows, the attendings who are just fresh out of fellowship, any words of wisdom, insight, guidance for them? I think for absolutely everyone, my words of wisdom would be to keep connected with your colleagues. It's far too easy after leaving a university environment or a training environment to just hunker down and do your work day to day, you know, booking your patients and going home and having dinner. And I think that we all need to be intentional about preserving and making relationships with colleagues and having conversations continuously on the hard cases, because I think that's really what keeps it so rewarding and keeps us engaged and interested and, you know, having vitality in our professional lives. The other thing is that for the newer doctors out there that are entering practice or recently have, my advice would be to be very intentional about the practice you're building. I have been, I know what I want in my work, and it certainly, I expect, isn't what some other people want, but I've developed it intentionally because I know what is going to make me happy and make me continue to feel fulfilled when Friday night clinic ends. So I think we all need to not let our work happen to us when we leave practice, leave our training environments, not just to take a job and see what what starts to fill our schedule, but be in really clear with yourself about what it is you want to be doing in this broad specialty and making a plan for that. Nice. I like that being very intentional from day one. Yeah. Any websites, organizations, groups you'd recommend the listeners check out? Well, I am a member of the North American Neuromodulation Society, PSPS Clearly. I'm excited about the growth in this organization and so quickly because it's so needed in this territory of the country. And then I think that also Women's in Neuromodulation Society is another really, a really great organization and that seeks specifically to create community among women pain management physicians and neuromodulation providers. Lovely. I'll encourage the listeners. I'm familiar with those groups as well. Highly recommend. Go check them out. Dr. Jennifer Lee, thank you so much for sharing your thoughts with us today. We appreciate you taking the time. Thank you for listening. We want to continue this engagement. Please visit the PSPS website, join the email newsletter, watch the webinars, or attend the conference.